because it is, it, it is a risky business and you've got to mitigate or analyze and say, well, what's the proper margin to overcome those risks? You are listening to the Property Developer Podcast, your home for tips, ideas, and inspiration to help take your developing to the next level. Now, here's your host, Justin Getty. Hello, and welcome to episode 100 of the show. Thanks for joining me. Very exciting episode for me, getting to the big ton. Been a long time coming. I wasn't sure what I should do to mark this episode, whether I should do something unusual, something different. But I have decided to go with another awesome guest who I'm sure you're going to love, probably a name that you are quite familiar with, although you may not know exactly who they are, but you will by the end of this episode. We'll get to that shortly because I just wanted to take a moment of self-indulgence and reflect on 100 episodes and getting to this point in time. For those of you who might have been here from the very beginning, I started the podcast in 2015. And I did that to help share information and inspire people to take their developing to the next level, which I hope I might have done a little bit along the way. The messages that I get from people would suggest that some of you have been inspired to do just that. So that's very gratifying for me. So way back in 2015, when I started the podcast, I hadn't even finished my first project. My 20 townhouse project was still under construction. But since then, finished the first project, finished the second project. The third project is currently under construction and giving me some headaches, as you're well aware of. And my fourth project is in planning at the moment and in advertising. So a lot has happened, which has been great. Along the way, I've had some wins and I've had some lessons that I've had to learn. I've also written my book, Become a Million Dollar Property Developer, An Insider's Guide to Wealth, Fulfillment and Glory. And I launched my training program to help people out there who wanted to get started in property development. So a lot's happened. I've also spoken with some amazing guests and connected with lots of really interesting people who listen in. So it's been a pretty amazing journey for me. I wanted to thank you for listening in and joining me along the way. I know some of you have been here since episode one. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. It means a lot to have people listening in. But I've still got plenty to share and do on the show. So let's continue the party with a quick project update from me. Work is continuing at Cambridge Road. Kind of have three projects within the development at the moment because I've got four units that are nearing lockup, four units that are having their internal plastering done, and six units that are still without cladding, although four of them now have roofs after last week. So it's going to be interesting to see how they all come together as they're probably going to finish at different times. Anyway, practical completion for the whole project is still many months away, so there's still a lot of water to flow under the bridge. But for now, construction is continuing along, which is good. On my other project, we have finally gone to advertising, which is great, so we can begin to get some feedback from the community and from the council on our proposed scheme. And it's always a case of uh, crossing your fingers for the kind of reaction that you might get from local residents as some people react differently to change. A couple of quick promos before we get into today's guest. I've mentioned the book, Become a Million Dollar Property Developer. You can grab that from the podcast website, www.propertydeveloperpodcast.com forward slash book. If you do want to get into property developing and you want to learn how, then check out my property developer training at www.propertydevelopertraining.com. It's a really great way for you to get started. And you can also take the quiz if you want to learn how ready you might be to become a property developer. And that can be found at www.propertydevelopertraining.com forward slash quiz. Okay, on to today's guest, a real legend in Australian property development circles. Ron Fawley will be a name known to many listeners of the show, having written a number of books on developing property in Australia, including 
Australian Residential Property Development, An Intelligent Guide to Australian Property Development, and Australian Residential Property Development for Investors. No doubt you have some of those books in your collection. So I was very excited to be able to speak with Ron for my 100th episode. Ron is a trained architect who applied his training to tackle property development projects, first in South Africa and then in Australia. Following his decades of experience, he then transferred his lessons and knowledge into the books I just mentioned. I am sure you will enjoy getting to know the man behind the name as we discuss his favourite projects, what he learned from his very first development, and the many lessons he has picked up along the way. I am sure you will enjoy getting to know the man behind the name as we discuss his favourite projects, what he learned from his very first development, and the many lessons he has picked up along the way. I am sure you will enjoy this chat with Ron, so let's kick off by finding out what food he will eat until he was sick. I'm pretty resilient, um, having gone to boarding school, whatever was given to me, uh, I build up a resistance, so I don't think uh, I'm... I don't get too sick from many of the foods. I do try a variety of foods. <laughs> no, what 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 sort of uh, tasty dish or weakness do you have that you'd sit there and uh, overindulge? Uh, I tend to love fish. Fish is always great. Uh, a variety of, uh, I suppose, Japanese. Uh, although I'm not Japanese, I'm my background is Chinese. But yeah, I do I do enjoy Japanese food. Yeah. Oh, well, that's not too bad. That's actually a fairly health, healthy option. You're yeah. one of the more health, healthy, uh, conscious people that we've had on the show so far then, Ron. Good, good. <laughs> Although, you know, uh, I do come from, hail from South Africa originally, so I do occasionally enjoy a good steak. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you've let in with that. So <laughs> we're going to get into your background in a moment. Sure. But you're probably quite well known to a lot of people that are listening to the show who probably recognize your name from having written um, a series or a number of books about property development, yeah. uh, which we'll, we'll come to. Um, sure. But you're, you're kind of um, also a bit of a mystery, like you're a well-known name, but I don't see you kind of popping up on media much, podcasts and interviews and magazine articles. Oh, yeah. A deliberate it, strategy or just you don't oh, get it? Look, it, there have been some podcasts. Uh, I've appeared in some of the magazines before. But, uh, yeah, look, as as an architect, uh, fairly sort of low profile in, in trying to sprug as much about myself. Um, yeah. So, But, yeah, I suppose in time to come, you know, where the general audience know me a bit more, I do tend to write a lot of articles. Uh, on LinkedIn um, of late, and I'm trying to grow up my leadership, you know, having a bit more time on my hands now. But prior to that, running a business, you know, architectural practice, and just kept me so busy out of the media and all that. Yeah. But I still enjoy, you know, passing on my knowledge into the property development space. Well, we might, we might come, well, we will come to the books later on uh, yeah. in the discussion, but let's Get started by going back to the beginning. How sure. did Ron Forley get into property? We know where you end up, but how did you get yeah. into property? Or what was your interest in the beginning? Oh, look, it, Justin, it, it it all held from you know the career I decided to tackle, and it was that becoming an architect. So, property is a key element of that. So, yeah, that's that's been always a passion of mine. It's a special area, and I you know, expanded my knowledge into that space. Yeah. So when, how old were you or when did you, when was it that you realised that you wanted to be an architect and why? Uh, probably after what we call year 10 uh, in South Africa called matriculated. Um, I wanted to get into architecture. Um, but I only did the year after that because I did a year of graphic design and then went into architecture. Yeah, always in the art field, but as I delve further and further into the practice of architecture, it, the, the property interest grew from there. Yeah. Okay, so did you went to university or ter- did you do tertiary in South uh, Africa? You, you went to University of Natal, as it was called then. It is now called uh, University of KwaZulu-Natal. Um, so I graduated there in uh, 1978 um, and thereafter 
you know, always had an interest in property development and uh, started my first project within a year after I graduated. Yeah. Well, tell us about that one. The very first project usually holds a special place in a development. Yeah, look, it, it was 15 townhouses. Um, yeah, did the design myself, obviously, um, but great lessons learned. <laughs> you know, when you're a young architect, it's all about the design and your passion of architecture. But, yeah, look, it held well. Um, didn't make a huge profit, per se, but um, there were extra elements that were put in, so your capital cost was a lot higher, so your margins were lower. <laughs> but great lesson learned, you know, and it's it's great great to get your teeth into it so you realise where the pitfalls are. And obviously thereafter, a second project or third project, you know, those lessons are learned, you take it forward, yeah. Well, so I thought my first project of twenty townhouses was was pretty good, but fifteen for you as an architect also yeah. very good. What? Why fifteen? What was it? Let's see. Oh, like just the, the limitations on. limitations on the property. Uh, obviously, with zoning and and the plot ratios and coverage, limited the amount of townhouses. Yeah. Well, I think 15 is pretty good, but is that something that you did with a joint venture partner or did you fund that yourself? How does a oh, young guy... My uncle, you know? my, my, my uncle was my financier. <laughs> you know, after graduating, you're a poor student, so you couldn't afford much. So he was my backer. Yeah. And I did the total development there uh, on, 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 a comp- on the name of a company. Yeah, that's a fantastic way to get some experience when you're a young architect and budding developer. Yeah, <laughs> it's 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 certainly as I said, it taught me a lot. Yeah. So, what what would you say some of the key lessons that you took away from that project being very green and raw? Oh, just don't let the emotions get the better of you. Uh, property development is all about a commercial enterprise. It's a business. You know, you're in for it to to make a return or yield. Um, but you know, it's it's also a fine balance. You know, you've got to get the product right aesthetically. Uh, so it does have appeal, but at the same time, you've got to be very rational in terms of of the yields that you actually or the returns you get because it is, it, it is a risky business and you've got to mitigate or analyse and say, well, what's the proper margin to overcome those risks? Yeah. And then what happened next? I I immigrated to Australia and um, started my own practice, uh, having worked with some project builders prior to that, uh, worked for another practice, and then I established my uh, architectural practice in 1986, uh, focusing a lot more on residential. And in terms of property development, did small little pockets of developments, you know, uh, probably five to ten units at the time, mainly villas on some townhouses, but those were just sideline projects. The main core business that was running then was the architectural practice. Yeah. And where did you land? What city did you end up in in Australia? Oh, Perth. Perth. Oh, Perth. No, still, yeah, and I'm still here. Yeah, you didn't yeah. go that far. <laughs> no, no, no. no. Yeah. But, uh, I did go back um, to South Africa back in 19... 19- would be right about the first bit of a recession we had in the late 90s. Um, I built a reasonable practice uh, of about 20 staff. Uh, but when the recession hit, I said to my my partner and said, look, either I vegetate here or I'm going to go back to South Africa and do some projects because uh, the family had accumulated a number of properties. And, um, I mean, one of my initial forays actually coming to uh, Australia was uh, call myself a political asylum because of the apartheid system that they had at that particular time. But in the 90s, I went back. uh, Mandela was released in in the early 90s. Um, So with that, um, yeah, I thought things might change, et cetera. But when I went back to South Africa, um, yeah, I did a number of townhouses, uh, quite sizable projects. Uh, in the range from about 38 units at one time to about 50, another another development, about 100 units. So I got very involved in that aspect. Uh, yeah, and then um, further down the line, I went into a commercial 
side of things. I did some office blocks, uh, a few shopping centers. Um, yeah, so it, it, it sort of grew from there. Yeah. And then you returned back to Perth? Yeah, well, look, um, you know, to, to be quite frank, you know, property development's a risky business. Um, I, I took on a lot more projects. My townhouses was the great cash flow, uh, having turnover, et cetera. Um, going into commercial, like shopping centers and that, um, they are to develop and hold. Um, but what happens is that you carry too much debt, you get affected by the increase of interest rates, which did affect, did affect me. Um, we had the Asian crisis where interest rates jumped from below sort of like tens up to about 25%. And I had a fair amount of land holdings or commercial development, and that stifled me. So so why did I come back to Perth? Well, I just sold the whole lot. I never went bankrupt, fortunately, had enough equity. But, yeah, it is it is a risky business. I mean, I was 40 when I first developed my first shopping centre, right? So it, it was just the entrepreneurial side and tackling too much. So you're probably going to ask what's the question I learned is that, don't take on too much, right? Just take it one step at a time. Yeah. And so when you returned back to Perth, how did you put that into action? Yeah, well, that's when I went into another area in terms of saying, well, let me not take on too much risk. And that's when I started writing books. My, you know, that was around about 2004. I started writing my first book and I thought, well, you know, all those years that I spent doing my own developments, there were not many books out there, not many people who could educate you. So it was all about the lessons that, that I'd learned in that period. Um, yeah, and that was my first book, which actually took me international. When I say international, more as a consultant, that's when AYR was uh, established because it is a development management organization. I was taken to China and a number of projects on behalf of uh, various enterprises. Uh, for example, I did a project on behalf of the university in Hainan, which was a technology park, uh, went further into other areas in, as far as Vietnam, into housing, similarly in Egypt, and then Africa was more into infrastructure. That's building a bridge, which is totally different to property development. But it was more on a consultant basis rather than my own uh, setting, you know, putting my own capital in. And I did that for a number of years, uh, but accumulated a great amount of knowledge. And um, after my first book that was published with Wiley, they asked me to write my second book um, in that time, and it just grew from there. So I've been writing books since then. But at the same time, I had some other projects, hotels, which I did here in Perth, um, yeah, and I've still got currently a few of my own projects, but I don't tackle as many as I used to, uh, just one step at a time, yeah. Yes, well, I just published my own book around property developing as oh, well. Oh, fantastic. Last yeah. year called Become a Million Dollar Property Developer. Well, that has appeal. Some yeah. of the insights and lessons that I'd learned in my journey and um, it was funny when I picked up your book because I have to admit yeah. I didn't actually... I haven't read any of your books until I was wandering <laughs> through um, Officeworks a couple of months ago and just yeah. noticed it on a bookshelf and thought, I'll pick it up and buy yeah. that. And then I was well, Which one was that, Justin? Uh, Australian Residential Property Development for Investors. Ah, yes, yes. Right. Yeah, there was some... The latest edition? Or was that uh, Wiley asked me to read? I'm not sure which one it is. Let me uh, check the inside cover. 2015? Yeah, I think that's one of the earlier ones. Yeah. So, anyway, yeah. there's an updated version and the latest release is on strategy. Yes, I saw that, yeah. which is good. Yeah. So I'll have to, I'll, go, I'll be sure to go out and uh, get the rest of them now on. Uh, but yeah. yeah, there were some great themes through the book, um, yeah. some similarities as well with some of the things that I had put in my own book and I thought, well, it's good that a guy that's got 40 or 50 yeah. <laughs> years of experience is saying some similar things. So Yeah, yeah. yeah the principles there. don't change. You know, you stick to those principles. Yeah, they, they're there forever. 
Yeah. Uh, so yes. Yeah, so for anyone out there who hasn't bought those books, they should definitely be looking up Ron Forley and uh, getting them in their their library. Yeah. Uh, so you started writing the books, and then what uh, trailed off from actually doing projects, or were you still involved? Yeah, I still in to continue projects. The, yep, I still did uh, development management. Um, my current situation, I'm doing two projects uh, here in Perth, but they're mainly in mixed use. Um, one of the things I've been focusing heavily on, Justin, is uh, obviously the social impact um, side of things, housing affordability. Um, so, you know, I went on this journey, even in the books I've written, it's, you know, it's important for to make a, a, a profit. Uh, definitely agree with that. It's got to be commercially, but I always extend and say, go an extra mile and see how you can, you know, do things uh, from a social level and benefit the community. So the projects that I'm doing um, are mixed use. Um, for example, I would take one of them. It's got a medical center. It's uh, together with the NDI's hub. That's for consulting and for therapy. So the medical center is part of it. Um, it has a social enterprise coffee shop where we teach people with disabilities uh, how to be roasters and how to run a coffee shop. Uh, it's got about uh, five SDA units, but predominantly it's a co-living um, development with about 82 beds mixed into four-bedroom apartments and three-bedroom apartments. Um, it's a growing trend and the yields are far higher, um, but it, it goes further on sustainability. Um, we obviously have a solar um, uh, renewable energy su supporting the, the, the development. And also um, an interesting aspect is that uh, we're incorporating a data center, a modular data center. It's, it's an interesting aspect of increasing yields on a development because all of a sudden you're putting a data center, it's more mod on a modular system, because the income is not coming from directly from the residents, it's coming externally. Mm -hmm. So the, the actual owner uh, is paying rent for a very small area of 30 to 50 square metres, uh, and it's based on a typical model that I'd used for shopping centres, and that's a base rent plus a percentage of turnover. So that certainly helps to improve the yields uh, on a project, but it's got to be obviously a certain scale, something like your townhouses, uh, we've got a, a reasonable density and obviously there's got to be a supporting uh, demographic for a data centre. So the whole aim is part of what we're doing now and, and what I'm driving towards because having been involved in technology is that um, we are developing um, a reporting framework on ESG. So our aim is to create developments uh, incorporating data centres that provide green data, right? Most data centers are using massive amount of fossil fuels. So the approach here is to say, well, if we decentralize them or we put keep them modular systems, we actually can now power them by renewable energy, right? Which means that um, instead of building, for example, in Perth, we've got a $600 million data center. It's going to be, it takes them about six years to actually show some yield or return. Whereas these can be incorporated in development, they're hidden away, right? Uh, they can put solar on the roofs and power these data centers. So you can build them in a short space of time and get a yield far better and quicker. I thought the here I was thinking the data center was to store all the data from all the emails, the fan emails that you get from everybody. <laughs> well, don't worry. I'm sure that uh, everybody gets that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so tell me, what do you think you've learned about yourself along the way, Ron? Oh, look, it's uh, it's been quite a journey, Justin. Um, you know, the, the sort of the things that I've learned um, and I do teach it, it's it's about knowledge. Knowledge is so important in property development. Um, and that which leads that if you don't know enough, it doesn't give you many options because at times, you know, you've got to take and look at a development and say, well, how can we improve the development, right? And without knowledge, you don't know what the options are. So even at this old age of mine, I do tend to learn what the new trends are 
for example, why we're doing the ESG journey on reporting on the built environment. I'm working very closely with Curtin University on that um, because that's going to become mandatory to all businesses where we really got to report on our ESG. And uh, similarly, uh, I'm writing articles, you know, is is your development ESG compliant? All right. So a lot of the th- those things will come into play, right? Um, energy, energy sustainability guidelines. Yeah, yeah, they, they definitely are. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what it's about. Well, you've you know, the, the, the ESG stands for environmental, social, and governance, right? So with that, obviously, um, because we by twenty thirty. Uh, it's been stated that um, by government, by the federal government, they want to reduce the carbon footprint by 50%. So that will come as mandatory in time to come to actually do your reporting. Um, the Australian listed companies are doing that already. Um, and similarly, in, in many parts of the world, right, they've got to be ESG compliant and do reporting back to the authorities. So anything else apart from knowledge? What else do you learn about? Uh, look, um, some of the tips I would say, focus and work on your own strengths, right? Always be in control, right? Um, and then focus on things one at a time, as I said. Don't tackle on too much. Try and complete it because tackling too many projects, you know, you're going to be invariably stuck with one and you take the funds from one to the other and that causes a problem. Um and mitigating your risk is going to be very key. And, and again, it comes back to knowledge. Without your knowledge about risk, you, you don't know how to mitigate those risks, right? And the most important element, I think, any developer, um, that, or fledgling developers, is be ethical. Stick to your principles of, of ethics. You know, unfortunately, um, developers have a bad reputation of being very greedy, without giving back. And I th- I suppose if you've got ethics, uh, you'll stick by the rules and do what's right for the community. And I think that's a very important aspect. You know, and that comes back, I suppose, to my training as an architect, you know, because we, we do, as an urban planner as well, you do think of the community when you're planning things. So I would say my background in terms of property development has not been to be the richest property developer, but to be a balanced property developer. Right. Yeah, I was having a conversation the other day with somebody that I'm uh, working with and they were facing some challenges and I was saying to them, it's really important to figure out what your own personal values, standards and expectations are. Sure. When you get into those difficult, challenging situations, you've got that North Star that you can refer to and to help you stay balanced and focused rather than being dragged down into yep. or down to someone else's level when you don't actually oh. need to go there. Oh, no, not unless at all. And, you know, sometimes not all projects are going to be uh, financially um, profitable with great margins, and sometimes you just break even. But the fact is is that something that you can stand back and say that you're proud of, you know, that, that you've given something to the community, you know, from a design point of view, how it blends, how does, how does your development blend within the environment? Yes. Well, now that you've touched on it, got any memories of a sticky situation that you got yourself in that you thought, my God, how am I going to get out of this? But somehow you found a way. Yeah, look, um, you know, it uh, as I came back to my developments uh, on the commercial side, um, you know, my sticky situation was the uh, global financial crisis at that particular time, which was called the Asian crisis, where interest rates jumped up double the amount. And the I suppose I was fortunate in a way that I had built up enough equity. So when with some of the projects that I was forced to sell, I had enough in the background, right? So it's automatic, you know, some developers just tend to build and sell, but they don't, they don't hold a nest egg. Um, you know, if you take, for example, Harry Trigoboff, I mean, he's the richest prop developer in Australia. His is not about just uh, selling, he holds. So he's just building up equity all the time, right? So it's a balance, again. 
uh, as I said, my, I got out of the sticky situation because I had enough equity in all the other projects. And that's happening at the moment with interest rates going up a lot. I mean, I know we're talking 2% to 5%, but that's kind of doubling as well. It's nothing compared to what I went through. Yeah. But Um, I mean, I get it does. There's at the moment, we're having a scenario where we've got escalating build costs, a softening property market. Yes. Um, so there's people get developers getting uh, squeezed. Sure, sure. Any advice for people who might find themselves? Yeah, look, in that I've, I've looked at very, I've looked at that very closely, Justin. And I think if the report came out, I think this week, whether we're going to be by two twenty seven, twenty twenty seven, uh, we're going to be about a hundred and thirty thousand sh- uh, short of, of housing which means there's a demand. So traditional residential developers always look at, you know, selling. But if you take a different approach uh, and look at way of doing a development where you can get the right yield, right, like what we're doing in the projects I'm doing currently, is that if I'm looking for rental, rather than renting at this stage, rather than just selling, because if you're going to develop, I don't know, with your particular development, did you have you had a pre-sale condition? To all of them, uh, we had some, and <laughs> the way market's going, they may end up being rentals too, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, my tip would say that whenever you do development, um, analyze it from a very early stage. What if you cannot sell them, right? So, you know, you've got a, rise, a rising rental market at the moment, so it's a matter of, of saying, well, you know, does do those deals um, actually cover your debt? Right, and analyze it from that point of view. I mean, the ideal thing is to have no, you know, you, you know, so long as the rental income income covers your debt, you know, you in, in a bit more positive territory. Um, but yeah, the, the projects we're doing you know, at the moment, or when I say we, I do have a team of people with me, and all our projects are focusing on as as a rental proposition. And it's we're not striding them. We're not saying, well, each individual investor can buy one, but but because they're an ESG project, there's significant funds are coming in that space. We hopefully, by the time it's completed, that we actually sell it to a fund, yeah, which is a different approach. Yeah, yeah, it's funny the supply demand equation for residential property seems out of balance already. In terms of rentals, like it's really crazy in Melbourne and other states and cities as well. But yet the properties, the selling market, yeah, soft. Oh, it is extremely soft at the moment because of high interest rates. So you've got to look at from a point of view and saying, well, if the demand is there, we which pockets or which areas are high in demand for rental, Um, and is it on the increase? And you need to refocus and saying, well, let's focus where the, where the demand is effectively rather than taking the the view, oh, we've got to pre-sell these or we've got to sell them. Because you know, even when you sell them, what happens? You've got to pay, if you make a profit, you've got to pay tax on it. So it doesn't really grow your equity. I mean, if, you, if you're running 30% of, the, of your margins gone already. Um, so end of the day, if it's going to be a... Uh, development that you intend selling, uh, what do you have left in equity? So my view is that if you can sell some and hold some, hold, right? Because that's part of your retirement package because you're building up equity all the time. And when you go into your next development, say, oh, the the bank's always going to say, where's your other equity? Uh, That's covered in the book that I launched about two years ago. Fast track to passive income, and that explains about the build and hold uh, concept. Yeah, yeah. I think the banks look at that equity, Ron, as uh, security that they can take when they need it. Uh, they they look at everything, Justin. <laughs> they look at your dog as well. <laughs> well, yeah, I've offered to throw my kids in on a, occasionally on a deal as a collateral <laughs> or just as a bonus, but no one's taken them so far. Yeah, no, no, it's. Um, they want every bit of you. Don't worry about that. Been there, done that. 
<laughs> what about a favorite project, Ron? You got a yeah, favorite child? Yeah, I would suppose it it um again, I suppose it comes to your very first project. You know, you, you stand back, it's still it's still, you know, when I traveled back to South Africa, it's still there, you know, it's it it still looks good after so many years. Um yeah, I suppose that's one of my favorite ones. You know, it's like your first baby, your first born. <laughs> Yeah, and that's a really nice part about doing property development, I think, that you do get to leave a legacy around the built form or the design fabric of a particular area, and, and that can be very satisfying. Yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely. You know, I, I still love what I'm doing. So, And I'm, I'm enjoying my journey now because the knowledge I've accumulated, um, I'm documenting a lot of it into, into book form, which I have done already. And similarly, I've got online courses where I'm teaching people. Um, and I have a number of mentees that I'm teaching about uh, property and development and development processes. So, yeah, it's it's been it's been an interesting journey. I see. Speaking of the mentoring, are there any general themes or ideas or challenges that you tend to address or um, discuss with your students that might be of interest? Yeah, look, uh, it's, it's again, the lessons learned over the years as a property developer, uh, one step at a time. Um, keep your keep yourself focused. Um, knowledge, I tell them to read a lot. Um, I said, in, in you know, even at my age, I'm still learning. Uh, you know, keeping up with trends. Tr- you know, trends are so important. Where's the market moving? You know, what are the likes? I mean, we are doing co-living because that's a trend. Most developments that people look at now and saying, well, let's pull, for example, your project townhouses. I don't know if you had co-living there and was going for yield. But again, it depends on location. So I suppose your um, is to think of what are the trends that are happening and deliver it to that market. Um, yeah. So I do tend to guide them on what's the, the huge benefits in keeping focus and keeping up with trends. And what about some good advice you might have received over the years? Anything that stands out that you can share with us? Yeah, look, um, like everybody else, uh, I do have a mentor. Um, I occasionally or once a month I still catch up. He's a retired developer. He's in his 80s. Um, he was a great uh, or a fairly well-known developer in Sydney. Um, and often uh, we used to catch up for lunch. And he keeps on reminding me, don't develop in fishing towns and in mining towns. Right. So that's, I tend to avoid that. Yeah. That's good, uh, good advice. Uh, what about um, advice for developers who are listening in who might want to take their business to the next level? Well, it depends uh, on whether they are into commercial or are they into residential, irrespective. If you're still in residential, which I presume a lot of uh, other developers, mainly most developers are in residential because they can do small pockets. I would say um, educate yourself with strategy, right? Uh, there are many ways you, if once you know strategy, it gives you options, right? Um, and that's published in my book of, uh, in, in the recent book. Uh, not that I'm spruiking it, but it's advice that, uh, uh, that would certainly help, you know, for example, how do you do, um, joint ventures or syndications, right? There's, there's the section that I cover. And I think in, it's also in the other book. It's about development economics. You know, we don't speak about that. We, we go through the throws and just look at the numbers, but, uh, development economics is a whole process of developing. From the day you buy the land or purchase the land, you know, if you look at the economics behind that. It's 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 all about uh, that whole process of looking at every every financial aspect of the development. Yes, well, I always encourage people to go and buy books, Ron. I think it's the absolute best investment you can ever make oh, in, yourself well, in terms of yep. the returns that you get on buying a book, reading it. If you get one. Yeah. One idea from a thirty dollar book or a fifty dollar book, like uh, it's, how good it's is a, that? That's a, it's how much value is that? 
yeah, certainly helps. I remember writing one book and I got an email from a developer in Queensland and he wrote to me and said, we were very, very lucky. <laughs> he actually bought during the boom period and he says, pure luck after reading your book. <laughs> uh, I don't think what they did would have worked. So, Actually, I'm going to ask you now, where can you get your books so from your website or I mean, I know yeah, you can get them um, online at Amazon. I have my own website, which yeah. is uh, ronforley.com. Uh, you'll find the books um, online where you know you can get from Amazon and all the major bookstores. If they buy direct from you, you get all the margin, Ron. Yeah, well, you can buy some of them on directly. Um, I think two of them, but the others are licensed to to Wiley, so they have to run through that process. Um, but the courses are online. Um, there's seven courses. It starts off from being a fledgling developer. Gives an overview of property development. Then you can decide, do you want to go in residential or you want to go to commercial? Because they're totally different, totally different approaches. And then from there, um, it covers two aspects of this part A and part B of residential. And that's the principles uh, and process of residential development. Then I go into specific asset classes. Like, for example, you're doing apartments. You know, I mean, sorry, you're doing townhouses. There's sections on apartments, even through aged care developments, retirement villages. Those are all residential, but they, they are broken up as it into asset classes. And then the second um, series of books is that if you go to commercial, the principles and processes is part of A. And then you go into asset classes because I cover shopping centers, I cover hotels, industrial buildings, um, yeah, and other niche projects as well. So anything's related to uh, commercial. And then there's two other categories. Uh, that's one of strategy, which is similar to the book, right? And then the final one, it's like a university degree. Once you've gone through everything, um, you become a development manager, right? But your risk is a lot less, right? Once you have all that knowledge, you know, you offer services to um Investors say, well, I'll put the project together. I'll be the development manager, which gives you ongoing fees. Um, the problem, I'm, I'm sure yourself, Justin, you have the issue. What do you do with cash flow in your development, right? Because you, you, if you're funding everything, you know, they want you to give all your time and effort towards it. And, you know, that's with the banks. So, but if you're developing projects on behalf of, of a syndicate, whatever, Somebody's got to manage it, and you have an ongoing fee, and you have a share in, in, in the project as well, which which lowers the risk. Well, there you go, Ron. That's actually my number one lesson that I have learned as a residential property developer is yes. the importance of cash flow. Oh, without fail. Uh, it, it's very stifling, and it and and at times you're thinking, well, how long you can survive, and next thing a crisis happens. You know, when interest rates go up and it affects everything, it's cash flow is very vital. Yeah. So, which I covered in my book to yeah. get it out there because when you're starting, it's actually not something that you think about at all. You just no, no, you just look at the margins, how bad it is. <laughs> yeah. You're just so excited about getting that first project underway, which yeah. is fine. That's uh, that's natural. Sure. So, you get deep into it that you go, Hang on, I actually need some income. <laughs> well, it's the same. You know, if you've got a young family, um, my my kids are all adults now, that's fine. But uh, if you've got a young family, you've got to feed them still. So how do you balance that? Yes, so cash flow, big lesson for people to take steps as early on as they can to try and find ways to bring cash into their, into their business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So think of being a property development manager. That's and what so it is. And the, and, and the training that you just mentioned, is that also accessible from ronforley.com? Yeah, yeah. It's all in my – there's no book written on, on that last bit. Um, it goes through how to write up your contracts, development management contracts and all that. Um, yeah, if you have the knowledge, um, why not? I mean, you're still getting part of the action and you're sharing the spoils, but you're not taking as much, much risk and it's helping your cash flow. In, in in the you know during the development phases which could be very extended at times 
Yes, definitely a good idea to be the development manager or play the role of the development manager and get rewarded for that. I was talking to someone the other day about it. Yeah. You're bringing knowledge to the table, helping get a good result, and that's you should get rewarded for doing that. Oh, of course. You know, project map, project map, it's the difference between project management and development management. As project manager, you give them the, the goal and direction, and this has got to complete it in that space and time. But development manager, you've got to cover all aspects because you're managing the whole process, even to the point of how do you, you've got to deal with lawyers, funders, banks, all that is part of the development manager's role. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and so your company, AYR International. Yes. There's uh, something interesting behind that name, isn't there? Is that the name of your kids or? Oh, no. As I said, AYR. Um, <laughs> so the history of that is that I was working at a particular time when I mentioned and I went uh, international. I was working with an, another company called um, Air Logistics. After, na- after the naming of the town of Scotland. Um, and they were partners to fund a number of infrastructure projects. But I did all the marketing, et cetera, put up the website, and then none of that came to fruition. So I said, well, I, I registered the name. I might as well continue with it. But I changed it from being a lowercase, you know, capital A and then lowercase YR. I changed it all capital, and I changed it to action yields results. So it's stack. I said to one of my Singaporean friends who knew the previous company, and I said, oh, you changed the name. So said, yeah, it's AYR, you know, Action Yields Results. And he said, all year round. <laughs> <laughs> but it's part of the motto. You know, it's um, when you get into property development, you know, it's about doing things. I, I mean, I have a number of staff members that just sit back and, you know, waiting for things, things to happen. Um and in property development, you've got to be proactive. So I do stick to what we're saying, you know, action yields results and uh, get on with things. Yeah. Well, and you also need to be flexible uh, and adaptable, Ron, maybe change things when you need to. <laughs> very, very much so. And and if unless you start doing things consistently and saying, and you're learning from it, as I said, it, it, it develops your knowledge and gives you a lot more options, right? Because at times when you get into sticky situations, you got to think, I'm going to get out of it, right? But without that knowledge, right, and um, you you might be stuck and get very frustrated. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think any time you invest in yourself is just a great investment. Any kind of training, even if you think it's something that maybe you've done before or a course that's only covering 60% of something that you want to cover, you're not sure about the other 40%. Yeah. Well, what's the worst that can happen? You're going to learn something about something else or a different sure. perspective on the content that you thought you were going to learn about. Yeah. Yep. And and always, you know, I've always been told another, if you ask me, not from my mentor, but my parents, is that you've got two years, one month. Listen twice, talk once. So absorb. Always listen to the other person's opinion before you open your mouth. And, um, and that's also part of learning, you know. Keep your ears wide open and just keep on absorbing. Yeah, well, they can uh, never take knowledge away from you, can they, Ron? You might lose some assets or some skin in the game, but you always keep your knowledge. Yes, yes, and that's what um, I've forgotten the person who said it, that um, knowledge pays the best interest. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't uh, agree more. With that, actually, just quickly, from the, what did you learn from writing the books? Well, it's it's a very interesting point because when you start writing, you're actually learning because you have to research to make sure what you're saying is correct, right? So with all of them, and that's why I've, I've managed to cover the full spectrum of property development over the years because I kept on learning. Um, so all the stuff I've documented in, in writing or online it's all my years' experience. Um, but, you know, for example, um, there might be projects that I have not done, but I had to research it. For example, developing a hospital, right? I know how to, what, what are the pitfalls of developing hospitals? And that's a private hospital, right? Because most, most governments deliver the hospitals. Um, yeah, so 
by writing those books, it expanded my knowledge. Um, and that's why I keep on writing. I'm writing a lot of articles on ESG and, and hopefully to become an expert on what's going to be important, what's going to gel. Yeah. And so what about other things, Ron, that uh, you're finding interest in as your career has unfolded? Um, Justin, the, I have been involved, I would say, over the last four years into blockchain technology. Uh, it all started off when Bitcoin started coming to play and I was on holiday and my uh, brother-in-law's friend said to me, oh, you, you should buy some Bitcoin. And I said, no, it's, uh, it's it, there's nothing behind it. Um, but I started delving into the technology blockchain itself and I thought, wow, this could be very useful um, into property development or specifically into housing affordability. Um, I then developed an app um, whereby, you know, the, well, the issue on housing affordability is that people say they cannot get on the property ladder. So the process is about uh, people, uh, rent, when while they're renting, I mean, if you take into consideration 30% of the income is covered by some form of accommodation. So if they're renting, uh, let me find some landlords that would actually subscribe to it um, and to give them rewards. Well, ultimately, it comes through the system anyway. So what happens with those younger people is that through the reward, instead of redeeming them for flights, they could be used for um, into property. And then we get tokens. And those tokens were backed by property, rental income. So that means that all of a sudden on the property ladder, even up with a low amount. Um, it also was considered to, one of the considerations was to speak to the federal government and said, instead of giving people 40,000 grant or whatever grant it is now, uh, why don't you match them dollar for dollar annually? Because instead of giving them 15 years or it's 10, 5, 10 years, its value is nothing, right? But then, then the capital growth happened backed up with property. Um, yeah, great idea, but capital intensive, chicken and egg situation. Uh, so we negated that and then we did something a bit different. I set up the company and we got involved with some other technology guys. To cut the long story short, um, we didn't agree upon the principles. I was focused more on building up assets. They were involved with more focusing on cryptocurrency, which I was not very interested in because it wasn't building value. So anyway, we parted. Um, and then, yes, I've been working in that aspect of uh, technology um, into blockchain um, and now more recently into AI. Um, so, for example, the technology side is yeah. to bring that technology into, into development processes and property. The ESU reporting is part of that, where we use blockchain technology and we use AI uh, together with Internet of Things, how the how Internet of Things can integrate with the property and the building information modeling, right? And it all becomes part of your reporting systems, right? One of the interesting projects we're working on at the moment, and it comes back to where I feel that we need to help them the next generation to get into housing. Um, most millennials that you speak to, um, they've got a view, oh, well, we will never get into our own, we'll never own a home, right? And similarly, I suppose Sydney and Melbourne, uh, with the prices that are there and income stream, you know, it's going to be always difficult. So what we've done using technology is that we have created, we're busy creating a platform, what we call a marketplace, like an exchange. But what we're creating is a um, NFTs, non-fungible tokens, right? Now, those are familiar with blockchain technology and NFT um, has been predominantly linked with digital art. But it could be used for something totally different. Um, we we treat it as, as a smart contract. So, for example, if, we, if you're looking at developing your project there, Justin, and you need some seed capital in the early stages, you know, we don't sell a whole lot. So whether it's a million, 
you made in your project, you made two million in your equity, but we'll say say twenty five percent of that, say five hundred thousand in initial seed stage. Um, we launches launch that as NFTs. Uh, the platform we're creating is called Verified. So what actually happens is that in most cases, when you're doing your preliminary work, you know you get the wonderful architectural drawings, pretty pictures, and all that. So that becomes your NFT, right? So we make it affordable, whereby we cut that NFT into nine little pieces. So the first one you get for free, or a young person gets for free, you know, trying to entice them. But to finish the circle, the balance of the eight, we give you um, two months to pay it off at $50 a week, right? So that means, and when they complete the cycle, they have an NFT that is linked to the property, right? And that specifies a contract, specifies a minimum return, right, on their project. Um, but they can still keep the NFT as a bit of art if they wanted to, right? But it creates a liquidity in the marketplace too. So all of a sudden, we, uh, we allowing younger people to get into, uh, projects. And through that, they can learn about the whole process. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's developments. It could be a smaller project. Uh, it could be an existing building as well, right? But that's this NFT is a smart contract, which basically tells you it shares. So it comes back to your financial service license, because if you're going to have these multitude of individual investors, you actually have an issue. So how do we do it? Is that the very far is set up as a club, as an investment club for younger people. So the club purchases a chunk of of shares under one entity. Here I was. So that's some of the technology that we've been working on. Yeah, that's yeah. quite interesting. When you mentioned the NFTs, here I was thinking about a Roy Lichtenstein style picture of Ron Foley that was uh, no, no, no. sold. Yeah, we we take pretty pictures of your buildings, different angles or different perspectives. Some of the internal shots get the look and feel of that, and we create it as art. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting to hear about technology being used in development in that way. Yeah. And uh, actually, now I want to ask you, you've been around a long time. We've got all these challenges at the moment in the building industry with shortages of trades and materials. And when you sit down and think about it, there really hasn't been that much change in the way buildings are constructed in a long, long time. <laughs> Do you see any opportunities, yeah, improvement, look, or something that may change over the coming decade? Yeah, it's an in, in, interesting point you raised there, Justin. Um, Pre-COVID, I, I spoke about supply chain problems, right? Um, well, when COVID happened, I, I, I actually did a YouTube uh, series on COVID and what's going, how it's going to affect the property market. And one of the areas was supply chain. You know, which which is in Australia, we've totally gone the wrong way. Um, I remember the days when I was developing in the eighties. We didn't have really issues of supply chain. We got a, we've got, we we had a supplier in here in Perth or WA BDC that made all the components for for homes, right? Doors, frames, bricks, everything, right? So we weren't going overseas to to import anything. I think. This way it poses a problem is that, you know, developers are looking for margin at all times. So, you know, when the cheaper products started coming from China, we got stuck with that, right? And then when COVID happened, it, this, this is the effect that's happening, right? It affected the supply chain. And, and the other thing that I, I am certainly concerned with is that the views, and this is my personal view only, um, when you get a sizable project, right, all the financiers want a fixed price contract, right? And that, and the reason why that's happening is that uh, where the builders are going belly up, it, that's part of the problem because invariably situations are beyond their control. And there are some fantastic builders who I've been out there, I've worked with, have, were forced to liquidate because of the supply chain, right, the supply and demand. Projects I worked on are obviously a lot bigger uh, when I was an architect and on the projects uh, that I negotiated when I had my shopping centres was that 
but there was a tolerance in the funding, right, knowingly. And normally I had to have a QS, a quantity surveyor, and they would verify that the, these prices are have gone up, right? And you would have a bill of quantities. But what happens in the, in most cases in, you know, when people go, bills go to tender, their margins are very, very tight. And any margin or, or errors like, for example, supply chain or labor increase, they can, they, it affects them. And that's why they're going belly up. Uh, because the whole view, have a fixed price contract. Especially, well, you know, if it's small housing and that's, that's not an issue, we can understand there's a short, short time frame. But you will notice a lot of the, um, if it's first year builders and, and predominantly second year builders in the commercial space have gone belly up because of fixed price contracts. Well, the banks like them because they know exactly what their funding envelope is going to be, what they can allow on their on their books. Yeah, and I suppose you need to allow a certain amount of tolerance in in the whole thing because you know developments take uh, take two uh, uh, you know sizable development take two years, and in that time anything could happen. Yeah. Yes. Well, as uh, a lender once said to me when I brought them an issue about rising costs, they said. This is a problem for equity to solve. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then you get a situation where the whole project goes belly up and so is left with it, right? The, you know, the senior debt, right? Rather than take an attitude and say, well, how can we resolve the situation? Right. When it comes back to policies, you know, the banks have certain policies and they set in their ways. And then the junior person down, down the road is looking at your deal. So, no, that's the way it is. There's no flexibility. And so what's ahead then for Ron Foley over the next five to ten years? Well, I th- I've got to the stage, um, well, I'm meant to be retired. I was semi-retired, but, you know, having um, such a passion of what I'm doing and teaching and learning, I just love to be carrying on as a mentor and helping the others, um, you know, just to guide them through the pitfalls or give them strategy and direction of their projects. Um, you know, and the way I do it is that, you know, if somebody goes online, they they may be interested in a certain subject. Uh, I can give them the answers in, in, in a, that's not extra. But what I tend to do is that most people come to me and say, can I mentor them? But then again, I said, what I want need to mentor you on until you've got a project, I can guide you then, but it's pointless me teaching you something that's abstract. You know, it's got to be a project um, where you're going. I need because you can learn about a lot of the preliminaries. Just pick up one of my books, pick up about the preliminaries. You know, on how to find a property and that until you know, and ask me questions. I mean, for example, the very first course is it gives an overview. So if you were at early stage, do that course, and then I'd be able to answer it. But you know, I'm not going to keep on giving people um, free advice. They've got to make a commitment. <laughs> it's part yes. of business. Yes, that's all right. I think a lot of people who say they want to get into property development have a bit of a fantasy about what it's going to be like. Yeah. Which is, and yeah. I, I think it's quite different on the ground doing it than what people may imagine the life is like. Well, I suppose, you know, most people look up at the successful property developers and they think, well, you know, how do I get the songs that I can get into it? I'm going to be rich. But as I said, it's a risky business. Um, there are many risks that you're going to face and how you're going to mitigate those risks, right? And that all comes back again with knowledge and understanding of it. But it's not an easy journey. Uh, Justin, I definitely agree with you. Uh, they, as you say, you've lost a bit of hair. I've gone grey. That's what happens with Indian property development. <laughs> yeah, I used to look like Fabio a year ago. Okay. Oh, you could have been a movie star instead. <laughs> <laughs> Probably would have been easier, actually. <laughs> yeah. At times, anyway. Yeah. Uh, so where can people find out more about you, Ron, if they're interested? We've talked about ronforley.com. Yes, that's the best probably that's the easiest, um, right? It's just ron40.com, as simple as that. 
Um, yep, and then you can see what's on uh, what's available online. Um, get in touch with me. My send it, send my if if you want to have any questions or anything, just send it to info at bron40.com. Uh, that's directly to me. I'll answer your questions directly. Oh, that's very generous of you, Ron. Was there anything else you wanted to touch on or mention before we start to round out? Um, not a great deal, Justin. I think we, as property developers, are going to go through a tough time uh, in the next year or so with interest rates rising and that. And my bit of advice: try and just think. Well, what are the alternatives? Think of other solutions. I don't know where your development is or where what demographic you serve. But yeah, you may have to think it a bit more differently. If you're committed to any land at the moment and you haven't started, uh, there are going to be issues with funding. Um, already the big four don't particularly like property development. Private funders, they might be not looking at developments. Um, so it's going to be a challenging year or so until things stabilize. Yeah. And in order to do that, don't think it. Uh, don't try and do it on your own. Think of partnerships. Um, you know, there might be people that can have, have a longer vision to participate in your project. Share the spoils. Um, as my theory in terms of uh, projects or what we do, we always talk about being not being exclusive but inclusive. Bring other people to the party. And, um, you know, sometimes a bit of advice from them might just say, wow, that will change. Yeah. Yeah, and I always like to say to people to embrace the challenges when they come up because sure. that's actually when you learn the most. Definitely. Sometimes yeah. it hurts and it's challenging, but actually try and embrace it and learn from it because that's you're gonna yeah. you're gonna be better for it afterwards. Sure, sure. Most definitely. And and yeah, and don't let your ego get in the way. That's that's very important. It's not about you, you know. If you want to survive this game. Many developers who've got massive egos have failed. Yeah. Uh, I've seen too many of them come and go. All right, Ron. Well, it's been really awesome talking to you. You're basically a, a legend of property in Australia, so it's great to finally have you on the show. I've been really enjoying speaking with you today. No, that's fantastic, Justin. I appreciate you inviting me. And, uh, yeah, thanks for the listeners, and I wish them the best of luck uh, in the future endeavours and your endeavours too as well, Justin. And uh, I need to get a copy of your book. Well, hopefully we might see <laughs> it uh, next to one of your books on the bestseller uh, stand at the bookshop. <laughs> I think I'm some ways off that. <laughs> uh, no problem at all. I'd love to read it and see what where, where you're heading on your journey as well. Yeah. All right, I'll be sure to send you a um a signed copy. But oh, fantastic! Well, I, I in return, I better send some signed copies to you then. Once I've got your address, <laughs> it's been really awesome having you on the Property Developer Podcast, Ron. I'm so glad that you made the time for us. Not a problem at all, Justin. Happy to to talk to you, and uh, have, have, always happy to give good advice or direction. So long as you do your projects in a sustainable manner and think of the community more than happy to share my knowledge. That's awesome. Thanks, Ron. Thanks very much, Jason. See you later. Good one. Thank you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Property Developer Podcast. Tune in next time for more tips, ideas, and inspiration to take your developing to the next level. For more developing love, make sure to visit propertydeveloperpodcast.com.